0: Welcome to Episode 1 of Lent, the Season of Penitence. I'm Father Ron Shibley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church. The objective of the series is to help traditional Christians toward a better understanding of the doctrines and the worship practices of the Church Universal as a means of defense in a secular world which is increasingly at war with Christianity. The focus in Episode 1 is threefold. First, how and when Lent became one of the major feasts of the Church. Second, the theological meaning of the Feast of Lent. And finally, on the Holy Communion service and the penitential office for Ash Wednesday, including the imposition of ashes. Lent like its companion Epiphany and Jessima before it on the church calendar, is not a scriptural word. It does not appear anywhere in the New Testament. It comes from two sources, an old English word, Lenten, sometimes spelled L-E-N-C-T-E-N, and an old High German word, Lentz. There are similar words in other European languages, including Dutch, Italian, and Spanish. They all either refer literally or indirectly to the spring season. The illustration is the central detail of the magnificent apse and dome mosaics of Christ at the Byzantine-style La Martorana Church, Palermo, Sicily, built in the mid-twelfth century by Roger II, the first Norman king of Sicily. The English term Lent has been adopted by the English-speaking world in place of the Latin term Quadragesima, which means 40 days, and the Greek alternative Tessaracosta, which means 40th day in Greek. Around the world, the season has many names depending upon the language of the country. They all refer to a day which is 40 days before Easter or to the 40 days themselves. They all draw upon early church symbolism based upon the Old and New Testament involving the number 40. Expressed as 40 days, there is Christ's fasting and temptation in the wilderness in Matthew 4, 1-11, Mark one twelve and 12-13, and Luke 4, 1-13. The number of days Moses spent on Mount Sinai in Exodus twenty four eighteen, Elijah's journey on foot to Mount Horeb in Sinai in 1 Kings 9, verse 8. The days and nights of rain while Noah piloted the ark in Genesis 7, 4. Jonah's offer of of the days in which to repent, which he made to the residents of Nineveh in Jonah 3, verse 4, expressed in years the number of years the Hebrew people spent in exile in the wilderness of Sinai, from Numbers 14, verse 33. The illustration is an oil on canvas of the first temptation of Christ by the Russian realist painter Vasily Surikov, painted at St. Petersburg, Russia around 1872 A.D. Lent is one of two penitential seasons on the church calendar. The other is Advent, which is a four-week period of preparation both for Christ's first coming at his nativity and for his coming again in judgment. Advent is often called Little Lent. In the Eastern Church tradition, the season of Lent is known as Great Lent. There is no consensus among scholars on the origin of the Feast of Lent in either the Western or the Eastern Churches. Since its observation is based upon the date of Easter, it seems likely that it dates to the period after the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. when the method for determining the date of Easter was established. In the West, many scholars credit the earliest celebrations of Lent with a varying number of days to the eras of St. Ambrose of Milan in the late 4th century and in the mid-5th century to the reign of Leo the Great at Rome. During that period, the Roman Catholic Church did not permit Sundays, which are celebrations of the Resurrection, to be fasting days. The Eastern Church, which allows fasting on Sundays, starts its Feast of Lent on the day after the sixth Sunday before Easter, which is known in their tradition as Forgiveness Sunday. The illustration for this and the next slide is a stained glass window in Belgium depicting Gregory the Great writing in a book as the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove speaks into his ear. The Feast of Lent, in the form we know it today, is often credited to St. Gregory the Great who presided at Rome between 590 AD and 604 AD In 601 A.D., perhaps to satisfy Eastern Church criticism of the Lenten fasting in the Western Church as being less than 40 days, St. Gregory the Great ordered a change in the church calendar moving the start of Lent to the Wednesday after Quinquagesima Sunday and requiring the imposition of ashes, which is how the day became known as Ash Wednesday. The result in the Western Church is Lent as a season of 46 calendar days, of which 40 are fasting days. I mentioned in the opening discussion for this episode that the second part of this episode would focus on the theological meaning of Lent. In today's world, especially in Europe, the United Kingdom, and the United States, the Church has abstained from teaching the beliefs of the Church out of a fear of criticism for the secular sin of not being inclusive. As an aid to the restoration of the laity's understanding of the meaning of Lent, there is no more clear expression than the following prayer, which was adapted into English from the Gelasian Sacramentary from the 8th century in France. At my former parish, I read it each year as the opening prayer for the penitential office for Ash Wednesday. The text is from the version used at Choral Evensong for Ash Wednesday at the Anglican Church of St. John the Evangelist, Elora, Ontario, Canada on Wednesday in 2015 A.D. The illustration for this sequence is the high altar, Designed by Christopher Wren at St. Paul's Cathedral Church in London, England. O God, who by thy care and counsel for mankind hast moved thy church to appoint this holy season wherein the hearts of those who seek thee may receive thy help and healing. We beseech thee so to purify us by thy discipline that, abiding in thee and thou in us, we may grow in grace and in the faith and knowledge of Thee, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The prayer acknowledges that the merciful and good God is the divine author of the Lenten feast and the source of both healing and help. The petitioner asks for a spiritual increase in grace and faith and knowledge. There's also reference to the concept of grace received in the heart. Archbishop Thomas Cranmer built the idea into the responses to the commandments, inclined our hearts to keep this law as a response for the first through the ninth commandment, and write all these thy laws in our hearts, we beseech thee, following the tenth commandment. These concepts are fleshed out more fully in the collect for Ash Wednesday discussed later in this episode. Of special interest is another phrase, the reference to abiding in thee and thou in us. Abide, a word used ten times in John chapters 12, 14, and 15, and three times by St. John in his epistles, comes from the Greek meno, M-E-N-O. On the evening of Monday Thursday, in the address following the I Am declaration, I am the true vine, Jesus said to the disciples in John 15, verses 6 and 7, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. The concept of abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in the faithful has been a central theme of Christianity at least since the Reformation. The illustration is a tempera and gold on panel icon, Christ Pantocrator the oldest surviving icon of Christ. It is traditionally understood to have been commissioned by the Byzantine Emperor Justinian for the new monastery now called St. Catherine at Sinai in the 6th century. The literal meaning of Pantocrator is ruler of the universe. This desire to abide in Christ and for Christ to abide in us or, put another way, taking the teachings of the church into heart into the heart, is one of the primary impulses in the more spiritual-minded Anglican celebration of Lent, which typically includes enhanced self-examination, more frequent scripture reading and study, and concentration on the improvement of personal prayer habits, and finally, some form of fasting, which honors the Divine Son's sacrifice and suffering during his 40-day fast in the wilderness. The early tradition in both the Western and Eastern Churches that one should eat only breakfast and one full meal a day during Lent. During the 11th century, the Roman Catholic Church introduced the word collation, to describe a light meal without meat that would not violate the requirement for fasting. The modern equivalent of a collation is a meatless sandwich. To reduce cheating on the fasting rules, there was a further clarification that two such collations in a day should not be of a sufficient size to be the equal of a regular meal. Anglicans worldwide generally have had less rigid rules for fasting than either their Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodox brethren. One should keep in mind that fasting should not include Sundays, which are celebrations of the resurrection. Remember that it was only in order to have 40 actual fasting days in Lent that Ash Wednesday and the following three days after it were added to the calendar by Gregory the Great in 601 AD. One strong tradition in the Western Church is the concept of giving up something for Lent. This could be a particular food item or a class of foods such as meat or desserts. This abstinence should always be completely voluntary and never as a result of refraining from something which one is already obligated to do, for example, if a person is already committed to some form of a diet. The illustration, The Disciples Eating Wheat on the Sabbath, is a late 19th century opaque watercolor over graphite on gray-wove paper by James T. So from his Life of Christ series now at the Brooklyn Museum, Brooklyn, New York. In the category of giving up something for Lent, the AIC's patron, St. John Chrysostom, suggested to his own parishioners that abstinence during Lent is not limited to food, that it can mean giving up unpleasant habits. The great St. John suggested giving up the exercise of a sharp tongue or otherwise changing one's personal behavior during Lent. The illustration is a Byzantine Orthodox icon of St. John Chrysostom for which the date and location is not specified. As it does during the Jesima pre-Lenten season, certain changes are required in liturgical worship during Lent. The color for the season for stoles, pyramids, chasubles, and the draping of crosses is purple, except the fourth Sunday in Lent, which can be rose, and there'll be more on that later. There should be no singing of Alleluia's or of the Gloria in Excelsis, a standard which is relaxed during Lent only for Holy Communion on Monday, Thursday. There is no special proper to be inserted in the preface prayers for Holy Communion during Lent, just as there is no special proper for Advent, the other penitential season on the church calendar. The illustrations are a cross draped in purple and a purple stole offered on Amazon.com. Anglican worship in the prayer book tradition using the 1928 Book of Common Prayer includes two services. Holy Communion for Ash Wednesday with the seasonal collect, a for-the-epistle reading a gosp- and a gospel reading, and second, the penitential office for Ash Wednesday. The illustration is a circa 1400 detail from a book of hours depicting the clergy celebrating Mass using the Sarum Rite developed at Salisbury Cathedral, Salisbury, England. The Ash Wednesday Collect is a seasonal collect and is required to be read at all services during Lent until Palm Sunday. The collect was adapted from the Sarum Rite used in the English Church and was included in the 1549 Book of Common Prayer, the first English Book of Common Prayer. As noted in the opening slides in this episode, it emphasizes the theme of the season, which is the sovereignty of God and the need for penitence, and includes two petitions, the first for, quote, new and contrite hearts, unquote, and the second for forgiveness. Almighty and everlasting God, who hatest nothing that thou hast made, and dost forgive the sins of all who are penitent, create and make in us new and contrite hearts that we, worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness, may obtain of thee, the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. From time to time in the prayer book tradition, the traditional epistle reading is replaced by a, quote, for the epistle, unquote, reading. These readings are sometimes from the book of Acts or from Revelation, but may also, as in this case, from the, be from the Old Testament. For Ash Wednesday, the for-the-epistle reading is Joel 2, verses 12 to 17, which is the prophet's second call for repentance. In it are familiar themes for the Lenten season, repentance and fasting the rending of hearts instead of garments, which is a reference to a Hebrew tradition of expressing outrage by tearing the garments, and return to faithfulness toward a gracious and merciful God. Verse 13 in in this reading is used as an opening sentence in morning prayer during Lent in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer. The illustration is a Russian Orthodox icon of Joel from the Iconostasis at the 18th Century Church of the Transfiguration at Kiji Monastery, Karelia, Russia. The wooden church is not heated and is thus open only during the warm summer months. The Gospel for Ash Wednesday is Matthew 6, verses 16 to 21. Jesus's two-part criticism of the Pharisees referred to as hypocrites in verse 16 for their conspicuous behavior intended to be seen by man and not by God his father. Jesus refers to God his father as one who sees in secret and will reward you openly. The illustration is a stained glass window depicting St. Matthew at St. Peter's Collegiate Church, Wolverhampton, England. The second part is a warning against laying aside earthly imperishable treasure instead of heavenly imperishable treasure, ending on the church's Lenten theme of heart. In verse 21, for where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. The other liturgy during Lent in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer, the one most commonly experienced in small parishes, is the penitential office for Ash Wednesday. As I commented earlier in this episode, Ash Wednesday was added to the Christian calendar by Gregory the Great in 601 A.D., as the Roman Church's response to Byzantine Church criticism that Lent did not actually have 40 fasting days. The 601 A.D. service of Gregory the Great included a requirement for the imposition of ashes. The office was included in the first English Book of Common Prayer in 1549 A.D. The version found in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer was added with the American 1892 Book of Common Prayer. The imposition of ashes in the form of a cross upon the forehead of penitence was a Christian adaptation of the Hebrew Old Testament practice of sprinkling ashes on heads. Ashes for Ash Wednesday traditionally are made from palms, saved from the Palm Sunday service in the previous year, although in the modern era they are commonly bought from church supply houses. The Ash Wednesday Penitential Office can be used as a separate service or in combination with litany, morning prayer, evening prayer, or Holy Communion. In my former parish, we observed it as a separate service on Ash Wednesday at noon. Most modern parishes, owing to the reality that the faithful often no longer live within a short distance of the local church, observe Ash Wednesday with an evening service which may or may not include Holy Communion. The illustration is an Ash Wednesday service with the priest imposing ashes on foreheads in Koblenz, Germany. The prayer book office includes eight parts not counting the actual words of the imposition which are not provided in the text. Part one is Psalm 51 verses 1 to 17 which is King David's personal prayer of repentance for his many sins both personally and as king. Psalm 51 is read more than a dozen times with other services during the church year. It includes one of the most quoted scriptural verses concerning heart, Make me a clean heart, O God, in verse 10a. Part 2 is a threefold curie. Part 3 is the Lord's Prayer, using the shorter text from Luke 11, verses 2 to 4, which was the preferred form in the 1549 Book of Common Prayer. Part four is a four-part set of versicles and responses based upon Psalm 86:2, 21 and 2:79, 9 and 102, 1. Part five is two prayers said by the clergy. The first is the Collect for the day, and the second is a Cranmer, Archbishop Cranmer, composition based upon several Sarum-era offices. Part six is an anthem, which is said jointly by the people and the minister, and is based upon Jeremiah 31, 18, Joel 2, verses 12, 13, and 17, Habakkuk 3, verse 2, and a medieval office for Ash Wednesday. After these readings is the traditional occasion for the imposition of ashes. The Book of Common Prayer does not provide a specific text, but Genesis 3, verse 19, which reads, Out of the dust you came, and to dust you shall return, in the modern English of the NKJV text, or From dust thou came, and to dust thou shalt return, in the text of the King James Version. Part 7 is a closing collect from the 1892 Book of Common Prayer, taken from a collect which the Archbishop uh, Archbishop Cranmer derived from the Gregorian sacramentary. The final piece, part 8, is the benediction, using the Levitical blessing from Numbers 6, verses 24, 25, and 26. This completes the discussion of the origin and wording of a penitential office for Ash Wednesday. Other AIC resources touching upon topics discussed in this episode include, from the AIC Bible Study Video Series New Testament Gospels, St. John's frequent use of abide from the Greek minnow, and its spiritual meaning, which are discussed in episode 31 and episode 35. Episode links are found on the digital library page, with podcast versions linked from the podcast archive page. From the AIC bookstore publications, our newest book, The Gospel of Matthew, Annotated and Illustrated, Subjects discussed in this episode are from chapter 6, the gospel lesson for Ash Wednesday on the need for doing charitable deeds in secret, and the advice to lay up treasure in heaven, which is illustrated as shown on the slide in page 57. In Christian spirituality and Anglican perspective, the Anglican understanding of the meaning of heart as used by Archbishop Cranmer, is discussed in Part 1 and Part 3. In Layman's Lexicon, the heart entry is found on pages 104 to 105, and in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer Service Book Edition, the actual text of the Old Testament quotation from Genesis 3 is printed in modern English and the KJV language, in the section for the imposition of ashes. For more information, use the virtual bookstore link at the bottom of the home page at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. Finally, there is Father Ron's blog, using links at the top and the bottom of the home page. Entries, which are usually posted weekly, often include an illustration. I invite you to become a follower by clicking on the Follow Anglican Internet Church legend in the right-hand column and afterward entering your email address. You will thereafter receive notice of each new posting from our site host, wordpress.com. Please be assured that we do not share email information with any other organization. Thank you for joining me for Episode 1. Next time, in Episode 2, I will discuss the collects, epistle, and gospel readings, and suggested traditional hymns for the first four Sundays in Lent. Until next time, may the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and make use of its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net